Hi, this is Alicia Pope, Head of Sports and Sponsorship Strategy Development at MGM Resorts, and this is One on One with ADC Partners. Hi, this is Dave Almy of ADC Partners, and thanks for checking out this episode of One-on-One Sports Business Conversations. Now, when this episode's guest, Alicia Pope, was playing AAU basketball, her teammates would often share dreams about playing in the NBA and WNBA. But not Alicia. She dreamed about being commissioner. And let me tell you, after my conversation with her, I'm thinking Adam Silver better watch himself. Alicia kind of represents a perfect storm of how to succeed in sports business. She combined her innate competitiveness, incredible family support, and insatiable curiosity to examine every nuance and corner of the industry. And after stops at NASCAR, the NBA, WNBA, and NCAA, Alicia now finds herself head of sports and sponsorship strategy at MGM Resorts. In our conversation, we talk about her rise through the sports business ranks and the skills she believes have been instrumental to her. We also get into her role at MGM, how changes in sports marketing have impacted her priorities, and what she's most looking forward to when it comes to the future of the industry. But before we dive into my interview with Alicia, I got a couple of other things to get you up to speed on. Don't worry, I'm going to make this quick. Now, if you go back in our archives, you can find my show with Jason Smith, the founder of the sports tech startup sponsor CX. Well, the good news is we're getting that particular band back together. You see, Jason and I are hosting a webinar for people who work in sponsorship sales. And in it, we're going to peel back the layer on what folks on the buy side of the sponsorship equation want to see from the sales process. We've interviewed a bunch of brand marketing folks to get the unvarnished truth about a bunch of stuff like how to get them to call back, their expectations on ROI, what separates a good salesperson from a, well, less good one, all that and lots more too. So if you've got some time on December 6, 2023 at 10 a.m. Mountain Standard, 12 noon Eastern, we'd love for you to join us. And you can sign up at adcpartners.com slash podcast. Also, I'm pretty excited because this episode is the first to feature our new sponsor, Reflux Gourmet. Yeah, you heard that right. This little podcast now has a sponsor. And Reflux Gourmet is an all-natural, great-tasting treatment for acid reflux, uh, something that most of us in sports business have dealt with at one time or another. I'll have a little bit more about our new partner later on, but if you're interested now, you can hit pause, head over to Amazon, and you can get a 10% discount on your first order of Reflux Gourmet by using the code 10SPORTSBIZ. Okay, that about does it. Let's get to my interview with Alicia. Alicia, you got your BA in sports management while playing basketball at Barry University in Florida. So it kind of seems, at least to me, the uninitiated, that you working in sports was always something that was kind of on your mind. So um, what's, I guess my first question to you is what really kind of drew you to the industry? What was the catalyst for you and all that? So um, to be honest, my kind of draw that I've had to the industry kind of comes way before I even start um, my undergrad work. You were an um, early bloomer. You're a sports I business was. early bloomer. 
<laughs> I was. I was. And that's something that I've I found like in my later years. It's been very unique about myself. So I've always known, like I've always known what I've wanted to do. Like huh. I played AU basketball at the time the WNBA was kind of just starting around that time where there was whispers of it. But a lot of my, you know, teammates, whom some did go on to play in the WBA, they would raise their hand and say, I want to be in the NBA. And I'd raise my hand and say, no, I want to be president of the NBA. (laughs) Oh, okay. All right. So, uh, okay. There was definitely objective here. Yes. Yes. I have always had a huge passion for sports and business. And honestly, I have to credit like my mom and just she's always pushed us to follow our passion regardless okay. of whatever it is yeah. you know even when I set out to get a job you know I was like 14 15 years old I just wanted to get a job any job you know I needed some money to get my nails done I just needed any job me too and it was she- one of my big motivators <laughs> <laughs> and she's like no you're not getting any job you need to get a job that's going to point you in the direct direction where you want to go so she really started saying okay it's not it's if you're going to do something you want to do it towards a direction that's going to yeah. give you you the build towards the future that you see for yourself build towards the future yep so that landed me at the local gym working at a basketball camp like over the summer uh mugsy bobes basketball camp <laughs> so were you taller at mugsy at that point in time <laughs> probably <laughs> and if anybody doesn't know who mugsy bogues is you can look up online he's not yes, a tall man google him don't tell me you don't know who he is <laughs> <laughs> yeah right exactly Ooh, scary moment right there so yeah. this was it you really started to see I mean, sometimes when you're playing sports, the the business of sports is kind of behind the curtain, right? You you know it's out there. You know there are people selling tickets, and you see sponsorships and stuff like that. Yeah. But that kind of gave you an early sense of what it was, and that sort of lit a fire. Is that fair to say? Yeah, they definitely lit a fire. So I kind of had two things sort of happening. Like my mom always pushes us to drive our passion, like to stay mm-hmm. close to our passion points. And for me, that was sports. So I'm the one who collected like Olympic ads. Like I ripped out the Coke and, you know, the Coke and Olympic ads oh and I gosh. kept them in a binder. Like I was really, I'm really into it. I've lived it forever. On the flip side of things, you know, I, I, my dad, he, you know, played in the NFL. Okay. So I did have some exposure to sports around there, but then also too, he went on to work at his Almormada, Georgia Tech. So oh, when okay. I'm, he also works there in the athletic department. So I do have a little bit of a peek behind the curtain kind of through him to even know that it's possible. So I think the kind of the two of those yeah. are what really kind of intersected. So he had the playing career, not unlike yourself, you were a basketball yes. player all through college and then transitioned to the more business side of sports. So there was kind of a tip between your mom's lighting the fire and offering yeah. the direction and the dad's path it really seems then like a natural progression for you yes to sort of have been in this in this industry and like i said i mean you were you got your ba in sports management at barry and then you got your mba at texas a&m yeah. go aggies and you went to china for yes. a semester yes so yeah. let me ask you this so what was your motivation there And what did you take away from your time overseas that maybe still impacts you today? What, what was that? What was that whole experience like? That experience was amazing. Like, Mm. honestly, we literally all the efforts, everything that we did was about learning how to do business in China. Mm -hmm. So it was really 
first of all, if anyone has the opportunity to go to Texas A&M, I would definitely jump on it, 100%. <laughs> uh, it was an amazing opportunity education that was afforded to me. I was in a traditional business program, and that was very thoughtful. Um, I had my sports management background. I knew a lot about sports, and now it was time to kind of learn more about business. Mm-hmm. But Broaden the horizons a bit. Right. And Texas A&M is a huge sports school. So I could go over to the sports management program and dip my toe in the water and get experience. But I was really learning about business. And then on top of that, when they kind of laid out a bunch of markets in front of me to go visit and do a world class curriculum to learn how to do business in that country, I had the opportunity to select China. It was not only natural because everything we know about China, and but also too, it's about everything that we don't know. It's kind of the polar opposite of the, the ways that we do business here today. And I was looking to make sure that I left that experience as well-rounded as possible. So, and then China is such a huge market, you know, the, it's almost impossible to really wrap your arms around how big oh, it is. It is impossible. And you don't yeah. need to, you need to capture a little bit of it yeah. in your separate life. <laughs> <laughs> and the fandom is amazing and kind of like just the people there that got to know was amazing. And then also to really learning how to do business there. It sounds so basic, um, but they do business so differently than what we do. Um, You know, right down to the way that you sit around the table. It was great to just learn about a whole nother culture and just to kind of continue to build that, that level of respect that I have for the rest of the world. Did you have a sports focus in China or was it still sticking with, I want to get a largest possible, broadest possible look at what doing business in China is like? So there wasn't a specific sports focus per se, mm. because I was in an MBA program, right. but I always took the sports and entertainment angle of everything that I did. It's also something that kind of helps separate me from the pack, right? I think that's something that our industry does really well, but you know, our strength is our weakness, but in our industry, we find ourselves around ourselves a lot. A lot. Um, but being around- Kind of like listening to this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but being around future oil, like top oil executives, future top finance executives, executives, future top engineers, future startup executives who, you know, I all kind of keep in touch with today. It was very invigorating. And it was also cool to be that sports executive within that, in that environment. You know, it's interesting. The analog I'll draw is how many times have you heard people say, it's like, don't focus on one sport, you know, when you're playing, right. You want to have, you want to have play and experience other sports because they will all feed into this other game that you play. And I don't know, that's a real challenge for people right now. But what you're talking about is just the business equivalent of the same thing. If you get too locked into sports, all you see is sports and the way that we solve things within this industry. So the breadth of perspective must have been really engaging. And you still use it today. You still use and connect with those people today. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. The sports industry is so important too. Yeah, <laughs> the sports industry is so young. It's such yeah. a young industry. Um, so especially when you look at like a lot of the opportunity in it, it's going to be related back to like where the area of areas of growth opportunities, you can turn to some of those industries that have been around a while and you can look at the way that they've grown their business and they continue to evolve with technology and everything like that to kind of get a hint upon kind of what's going to happen next in the sports entertainment industry. Yeah, that a very valuable multidisciplinary approach. But you come back from China, you get your MBA and you throughout your career, I mean, you've done I think you do what a lot of people do when they want to work in sports. You you take you take jobs everywhere, right? And everywhere. you you've yes. had a ton of different roles. You you know, you've worked in athletic departments with UMBC. 
you, the Washington Mystics, NASCAR, uh, you work with Alonzo Mornings charities, you've done social media and event work. So you have this, again, we talked about the idea of multidisciplinary. You've seen this sports business place from a lot of different perspectives. Was there something about those roles that started to channel you towards marketing and partnerships? Was there something you did with all those roles that really stood out to you? You know what? Not knowingly. <laughs> so when I look, not knowingly, I did exactly what you said. There was an opportunities. I jumped on them. I worked hard, tried to work towards the next opportunities. And as I kind of learned myself and the strengths that I brought to the table, mm-hmm. that's naturally pointed me in that direction. But it's ironic because my, the different, like the vastness of my background right. today people look at and it's highly coveted but when I was working through it I would always get the question of do you even know what part of the business you want to work in I see you can do PR but you can do social media but then you also have done large-scale events and I used to get questioned a lot surrounding around interesting really that's so funny too it actually goes back to what we literally were just talking about because marketing is so multidisciplinary even with its own right but that was something that people looked at you like with a raised eyebrow a thousand percent they they're kind of like well you're kind of a jack of all trades but you're not really fitting into the box for us and Mm. you know honestly it's to me at first it was something I felt like I was running up against running up against like kind of especially because you see a lot of experience but with a lot of experience comes a lot of rejections Mm. and kind of every single time I got rejected I thought to myself well that's just not they're not ready it's not they're not ready it's not the right place it's not the right time because I don't fit into like the typical kind of typical box and mold of things I never will so I definitely shouldn't try (laughs) so and if they're at that time and you should always do what's right for the business that you're leading. So at that time, if you're looking for someone to fit these specific things, by all means, go find that person. But the value that I you know, bring to the table has a lot to do with the many different areas of the business. And I was hoping, and hopefully I continue to hope that this is a case that that also will help me from a leadership capacity standpoint, right? Because the more that you kind of see, the more that you kind of know, um, you know, I consider myself someone that knows enough to be lethal in a lot of different areas, but because I know enough to be lethal, I know enough to lean on the experts. Okay. I'm sort of a little nervous about the lethality of of the role (laughs) all of a sudden, but I, I understand. I mean, I understand exactly what you're saying too. And there's something to be said for not taking the first role to fit within the box that they want you to fit in if you know you're subjugating your own capabilities in order to do just that. Sometimes the best decisions we make are the no ones. Yes, sometimes they're made for us. <laughs> sometimes they're made for us, right? And you do struggle, but ultimately you you went and uh, started with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. You probably take what is the first, not real, but I mean, it's the first substantial job in sports with the Cavs and you arrived you know I mean clearly I mean I was you know the team success had a lot to do with you arriving but LeBron James also showed up (laughs) around the same time and but he you know it's obviously there's a lot of success there and you know it's difficult always to define success when you have a player like that and a run of success like the team was having right selling tickets for the Cleveland Clavaliers when LeBron James was there is probably the easiest job on the surface of the planet think (laughs) you would think right i mean it's definitely going to do it but he departs midway through your tenure Mm -hmm. right and the team 
struggles a bit. So what I'm interested in is, you know, can you talk a little bit about your approach to sponsorship and working with partners when James was there? And then how did it change after he left? I mean, what did you learn about, you know, sponsors and expectations and the results of those kinds of partnerships during that, during that transition? My tenure at the Cavs, it was a huge learning opportunity for me. Um, it's like one of the most notable times in sports. So that was awesome. But also too, like I'm there, there's no LeBron, LeBron, and then LeBron's gone again. So I almost worked for three different organizations. Uh, you're right. <laughs> the person kind of our leadership at the time, and they they also too, they've gone on to do amazing things. The biggest thing I learned from our leadership in the revenue group at the time was kind of to challenge yourself when you're looking ahead a little bit. Mm. So it's like, okay, LeBron's here. Yes, we're going to, you would think selling tickets is easiest, right? So you can sell them for a dollar, sell as many as you can. But there was a lot of thought put into, our, our teams put a lot of thought into like our long-term plan and our long-term revenue strategy. You know, we have the arena transformation that happens during that time, which now it sounds like you know, building new, new arenas, turn around, there's a new one announced every day, but there were pretty specific COI revenue goals set out. And we understood that, yes, that there's an opportunity to grow the business because we were so great on the court, but you kind of have to treat that a little bit like gravy, right? Because mm -hmm. wins and losses, they go up and down and you right. have to buy your business for the long haul. And so that was something that I learned during my time there, because there were certain deals we didn't do, or there were certain deal structures that that we were pushed to put into place um, in order to fortify the business for the long run. So that was, that is kind of, I, I understand you're kind of saying, well, you kind of see it after the fact, but it's something you try to prepare for in the upfront. So you feel like the team and the teams you, and the internal teams you work for tried to add some level of bulletproofness to the business that existed beyond the wins and losses to ensure Absolutely. that the revenue stream was consistent. A thousand percent. And is there a specific to that that you take away and like, oh, you know what? This plan that we did was particularly effective in that moment. Was it a service piece? Was it a business generation piece? What was it? I think it's about, there's kind of three things that come to mind that I mm. that have I always seen to be relevant mm. um, in every single kind of partnership group that I've worked in or touched. And one of them is, yes, a service a service piece to it. Relationships are queen, king, however you want to look at it. Like they are the drivers. All the royalty. <laughs> all the royalty, all the things. Yeah, yeah. So um, they definitely are. The other thing is long-term deals and, and, and flexibility within long-term deals. I think that you see in the industry now, there's a huge push more toward, more towards commercial terms of longer terms deals versus kind of typical sponsorship terms where you're paying for spots and dots. And when I say commercial terms, I mean, so it's like kind of what have you done for me lately? Like, I'm going to do this to generate your business where well, you're going to do that to generate my business. Like, that's the type of thing that people want to see when they're building a long-term relationship is yes, we're putting 10 years on paper. Yes, 10 years, like, some of the deals you do in the beginning of my time with the Cavs didn't have Instagram in it. So you have to just, just literally have to be. There was a time before Instagram? There was a time with, it existed, <laughs> but not to the degree it does now. But you just literally have to be, um, 
you have to be known as like, yes, if we're going into this long term, you're going to be a flexible partner that's truly focused in on, on ROI and return on investments on both sides of the coin. It's so fascinating too. You bring up the idea of Instagram, you put together a 10 year deal and particularly now mm-hmm. when new technologies and new forms of media consumption are being built hourly. So how can you ever propose to have the whole universe of communication and capability on behalf of a sponsor in place in a contract that was written even two years ago? Never mind 10. Yeah, you can't. (laughs) You just can't. You can't. And I think that's where like all those things that we talked about before come in mind, the relationship, the service, the just the spirit of the the spirit of the agreement to know that we're kind of in this together for the next five years, ensuring that there's alignment between like those big, big corporate objectives. I think, I think the work and the execution kind of takes care of itself. Fundamentally, there's that really strong alignment between those big corporate executive objectives. Yeah. Now in 2020, you leave the Cavs after about a little over six years and uh, you join MGM, MGM yeah. Resorts. Can you tell how that, how did that transition come about? And I guess also what were, what were some of the big surprises when you move from team side to something as, I mean, MGM Resorts is, is a big company. Yes. <laughs> you know, what were some of the surprises to you when you moved from the brand, from the property side to the brand side? I have to say the first thing that comes to mind is really just like the decision-making path or the decision mm. tree, if that makes sense. I oh, think absolutely. <laughs> that was something that was for sure, a, it was a bit of a learning curve. Bit of a surprise. Me. Yeah. Because what's the CAV? CAV's like 200-person organization, 300-person organization. Yeah, 50, we're getting crazy. <laughs> and MGM Resorts is bigger than that. About 60 to 80,000. You know, depending <laughs> <on>. <laughs> yeah. Okay, a little bigger. Right. <laughs> yeah. So more people involved in more people involved in a decision, a little more, and also too, kind of. It's very interesting what kind of warrants the decision process, if that makes sense. Like how, and I think this, I'm, I'm assuming this is true of very big companies. It's almost the thing that they're trying to crack for all the time, right? What can strengthen our internal communication? How can we streamline? How can we um, be more efficient? I feel mm. like it all, you know, big companies are always asking that question. So mm. working for one and seeing that day in and day out, that was kind of, I think the most sort of surprising thing for me. And then the other thing I have to think about, which all leads right back to like the almighty do- dollar, as always. It is a business. It's a sports business podcast. Yeah, business has to do <laughs> with kind of what sort of keeps the lights on at night, right? Mm-hmm. So, and when you're on a team, when you look at a team's P&L, for instance, there's some few very, and although p is becoming more diversified now as they gain more assets, but there's a few kind of um, revenue streams that we all know and love everything from tickets to corporate partnerships, broadcast deal. You just kind of know before you look at it, where the bigger, the bigger kind of hits are coming in. And then when you turn and you look at MGM's PL, which you all can public trade a company, you could pull it right up. I may have peaked. Um, right. <laughs> For sure. Um, when you start to talk about kind of the way MGM makes its money at the end of the day, you know, 
the sponsorships or partnerships that our group are working on aren't going to be number one on the list. So I think in a team environment, sometimes where you're really kind of hit, you know, you're, you're working for yourself or you're really out there hitting the streets and you're keeping the lights on for everybody else. There's a level of flexibility and nimbleness that we enjoy in our business on the brand side that you don't get on the team side because we're not leaned on to keep the lights on, right? So now we can start to get a little bit more creative and and different things like that because on the team side, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. You got to close the deals you got to close because the lights got to stay on. So, do you think like you know the, the NFL franchises famously get about three hundred million dollars a year from their media rights deals, right? It's the it's the engine that drives that train. I mean, they get three hundred million dollars before they sell a ticket. Right. before they cook a hot dog and sell that before a single partnership. This is a kind of a loaded question for you. So answer, I mean, answer it any way you like. Do you think that that promotes a level of complacency on the team side? Because so much revenue is coming in to get them off and running. Does the creativity happen elsewhere with brands looking at those and saying, here's what we need to do? I don't think it creates complacency. I think that it's the opposite. Mm. I think it's the pressure, right? You've gotten a $3 million check and the teams that are boots on the ground day in and day out, they have to put on the show. Yeah. Like they have to put on on all the parts and pieces. Interesting. And, that event. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot, you know, to just ensure to, to everything from marketing to security, the operations and everything like that, to ensure that you're getting the people in there, they're having an amazing experience, you know, the hot dogs are flowing, the lights are on, everyone's safe. Like there's a lot that goes into that. Right, in um, order to justify that $300 million, in order to keep right. collecting that, to make exactly. sure it runs smoothly. So I don't think there's complaints to see at all. I think that the folks that work on the NFL, like they're, they are expected to put on an amazing show, all everyone across the leagues. And, you know, the players go out and they perform they do their part and it's it's been even more interesting especially with the growth of the athlete influencer right the power behind athlete influencers mm -hmm. so that in general kind of the player piece is more interesting than it's ever been but at the end of the day they do their part they train they hit the field they work hard but everything leading up to that and kind of everything after that and everything during everything but trying out is that team behind the team so, you know, you have to put on a $300 million, $300 million product every, you know, at least every time. Okay, now all of a sudden I feel the pressure. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, Alicia Pope, we're going to continue talking about your role at MGM, but we're going to just take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, Reflux Gourmet. If you work in sports business, then you know that we sometimes eat really badly. Stadium food, after all, isn't exactly known for its healthy properties. Yeah, it's gotten better, and there are more options available, but generally speaking, I'm not seeking out the vegetable plate on the concourse. It's kind of ironic, right? You're watching these world-class athletes push themselves to the very limits of human potential, all the while scarfing down a plate of nachos loaded with shaved meat and a hot liquefied cheese that is a color that doesn't appear in nature. And while that food can taste so good going down... I almost always pay for it later on with heartburn and acid reflux. That's when I turn to Reflux Gourmet, the great tasting, all natural answer for acid reflux. You can't even believe how good this stuff tastes. Uh, a chef in Napa Valley curated flavors like vanilla caramel and mint chocolate. And it's all natural. I actually recognize all the ingredients on the label. But most importantly though, it just works. Only one teaspoon of Reflux Gourmet, and I'm good to go. 
Reflex Gourmet is available on Amazon, and if you use the promo code 10SportsBiz, you'll get 10% off on your first order. Alicia, MGM, it's a big company, like we talked about. There's, what do you say, 70,000, 80,000 employees worldwide? Oh. I mean, by any, measure, by any measure, that's a big company, right? right? And they have a lot of different interests, right? We, like we talked about, there's gaming, there's, there's entertainment, resorts. Can you, can you give a sense of your area of focus for the company and how sports and sponsorships impact the MGM brand from your perspective? Our group, and I, and this was one of the things that like draw, drew me to the organization. Our mm. group, I think, is pretty interesting and in, in kind of the way that um, we're set up and we, where we sit within the organization. So we have a, folk, a sports focus, but we also have a sponsorship focus. So we have verticals that are out looking at um, traditional sort of sports marketing. We have verticals mm -hmm. that are doing traditional corporate partnerships. We have a live events vertical, um, strategy development, myself, and then also sports tourism. So, and you guys, you can imagine um, with some of the, why sports tourism is so important to us. And hmm, let me think. I know. <laughs> I why um so <laughs> we all sit in one big group together and i think it's just a very unique approach to the overall sports and sponsorship business um that mgm is taking and one of the things is is yes there's the brand side of it where we through our sports marketing group we want to really get great exposure for mgm and we also want to reach you know our, our preferred consumer but the other piece of it is we have a lot of owned and operated assets that are mm -hmm sports and um, entertainment assets. On top of that, we also have, you know, Las Vegas and everything that we know is it's surrounding around sports tourism. So our group is working day in and day out to ensure that through our partnerships and through the sponsorships that we have, we're driving that incremental revenue and that incremental um, opportunity and impressions and different things like that back to MGM Resorts. And we're, we're looking at it in several different ways, and which is why I really love the team that um, work with today. Do you look at the development of the resorts business and drawing people to there as sports being a particularly good catalyst from just a brand standpoint, like getting that brand awareness and making people familiar with it? Or does it go deeper than that? As you start to look at how these relationships unfold for you, what, what do you look at as being really successful and impactful for your work? I think it really just depends on, so like if you asked us today, especially mm. this week. Oh, it is um, race week there, yeah, good heavens. F1 is in town. Yes, F1's in town. Um, so the first race in, in Las Vegas. So when you ask a question like that, I think it just really depends upon kind of the life cycle of, of where we are as it relates mm. to sports and as it relates to sponsorship. So like right now, a lot of the team's work over the past year has been really, we really looked at our F1 strategy and looked at it the different ways that we were going to approach it um, from a sponsorship or partnership side. And that means something different, right? It means a lot different when, A, yes, you have your traditional, we have our group working on our traditional sort of sponsorship deal, but also too, when that car is coming right in front of one of your properties, that's a whole different ballgame. Changes it so <laughs> dramatically. I mean, it just makes the resort is part of the experience. Exactly. You're thrown into the experience, whether you like it or not. Um, so yet to be seen what's actually about to happen because it takes place in about a week. But um, as a good friend of mine, Nolan said, <laughs> never do anything for the first time. And it yeah, right. is, those guys must be crazy down there right now. Yes, yes. It's very busy. But it's exciting. 
it's very exciting. It's a thousand percent exciting. And I think it's also too, it's good for like our industry just in general, like the pie is getting bigger, right? It's awesome to see another league or brand come across the pond the other way and see them grow our business. It's really awesome to see a lot of the growth that's taking place surrounding the round you know, you see American football, but then also to football and soccer, you see the growth happening there all across um, the world, really. So it's exciting for sure. Do you see some leagues as being really adept at understanding how to create partnerships with you and MGM resorts in a way that really stands out to you? It's like, as, as just an even example, it's really interesting. I think when you look across all the leagues and we all kind of know within the industry, you know who the more conservative ones are versus who are the ones that's like- more We'll do anything. Right, right. <laughs> right. we'll try it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like the experience is very similar when we look at our partnerships group across the board. And when we're trying to think about what we're going to do, whether it be, build, whether it be building a live event from the ground up, um, whether it be doing a more traditional partnership deal, I think it's really about the things that we talked about very early on and who has that appetite for that long-term mm. um, part, true partnership, right? Where you're going to have that exchange, that commercial terms, you know, it's gone or, you know, can't cut a check for $50 million and then really get nothing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of pressure for people to justify their return on their investment all the way around. So. And it's so challenging working with a partner who is looking for a result in year one. I mean, particularly with a longer term deal, it's so it's like, look, year one is spent learning yes. and understanding what the impacts are. And it's one of the big learnings I think that people make when they move from property side to brand side and back and forth and things like that when you're coming out with the different perspectives what you bring to the table and i'm wondering now that you're driving strategy for someone like mgm having come from the cabs what do you wish what was a piece of advice you wish you could have given yourself when you were working for the cabs about working on the brand side now what do you what do you wish that people in your former role now knew about your current one something that i tried to do when I was on the cab side and now that being on the brand side is no is even more important than ever is providing the partner that justification, that ROI, mm -hmm. um, helping them build that narrative so they can have it in their back pocket at all times. I think a lot of times people do that mid-season recap or they do that end of year re recap and it's kind of like, okay, we have one email, this, that, or the other, but really dig into your partner's business. Understand, like you said, you kind of, you, you're like, oh, I read you know, MGM's investor relations app. Like if they're publicly traded company, read their 10K. It tells you exactly in there what they're trying to achieve over the next year, at least. So if I had to kind of look back and, and, you know, say to myself, and these were things that I, I tried to do and I've tried to lead with, especially working with bigger organizations, but now I, now working on the brand side, I understand it. It's actually important no matter the size of the organization is that if you are the if you're the partner on the property side ensure that you are giving your brand partner the weapons and the tools to build that case ongoing to to really immerse yourself within their strategy and if they don't have one help them build one <laughs> 
I think that's the other thing too. If they don't have one, help them build one, make them look like rock stars. I'm talking about give it to the give it to them to the point where they could take your name off and put their name on. Because at that point, you're now kind of you are in the trenches with them to a point where you're you're past just a budget line item now, right? Like you are a key part of their overall strategy. You're a thought partner. You're emphasis on the word partner. Like who doesn't want someone helping them in their job? Exactly. A thousand percent. I want that. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Alicia, as we get ready to wrap up here, I want you to crystal ball it a little bit, right? Because obviously, like we talked about, this change happens so much and so quickly in this industry. And as you look towards sponsor, uh, sports and sponsorship strategy for MGM in the coming months, well, coming days with F1, coming months and years and everything like that, are, are there things that you're particularly excited about that you see coming down the pipe, um, both in terms of the sports business world and specifically at IG, MGM? Yes, this is probably going to be the first thing that comes to mind. And this is this is probably going to be a little different the way that I'm looking at it. But I'm actually excited about the competition. Mm-hmm. And the former NCAA Division One basketball player <laughs> raises her head. Boy, right? <laughs> I want the competition. I'm excited for the competition. I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. it's, you know, I read an article, and I'm sure there's a bunch of numbers out there surrounding on this, but the sports business is supposed to grow from two to three digits. The sports sponsorship mm. and sports marketing business is supposed to grow from, you know, a couple, you know, two-digit billion to three-digit three billion, right? And a lot of that is being stirred up by the competition. Mm. The, Marcus, the market of Las Vegas is definitely the prime example for that. Epicenter. Oh, epicenter. We, you know, hopefully, and you know, more teams coming, you know, all the chatter surrounding on the NBA, all the chatter surrounding around, you know, Oakwood group and land they have and the new A stadium, all that is just competition. It's just good old competition in the market. Competition is always good. It means that the pie is growing. It means that like we're in the right business. There's more opportunity out there. I think competition makes everyone better. I think it's going to push MGM to find ways to to compete and continue our world-class experience and service and push us to find more new offerings. Um, and you know who's going to benefit? The fan's going to benefit. The, the customer's going to benefit. The guest is going to benefit. I think um, especially now more than ever, fans and customers' expectations are high. You have a short window, short attention span. And if my kids are any, you know, any uh foresight of that the attention span just gonna get shorter <laughs> so <laughs> right <laughs> their attention spans are shorter and the way they decide what they what they are fans are is more complicated and also how many different things that they're fans of the athlete versus the team i could go on for days but really what really what it boils down to and what's really exciting when you look ahead for our business, I think is the competition, um, the competition that's coming into different markets and, and the business just growing overall. Alicia Pope, head of sports and sponsorship strategy and development at MGM Resorts International. I got to thank you for the time. Um, and I'm going to let you go, but I'm before I let you go, I have to put you in uh, the lightning round, which is now presented by reflex gourmet, right? I know it's, it's stressful, Right. And, you know, stress can create acid reflux. So, you know, reflux gourmet. This is the right sponsor for the right moment in this podcast. Thousand percent. I'm going to go oh. try it. <laughs> Alicia, are, are you ready? Are you ready for this? I think so. 
All right, you wanted competition. This is basically yes. competition. All right, ready? Here we go. Um, the best MGM resort you've either been to or want to go to. Oh, um, so can I give two? Aria, been to, and then I've also been to a property in National Harbor um, in Maryland area, but I'm a Maryland girl, so I'm biased. All right, a little bias there. All right, you <laughs> moved from Cleveland to Las Vegas. What do those two cities have most in common? Hmm. I have to say good people. When you when you peel back the layers of the people who live in the neighborhoods and the suburbs across the street from me in both places, there's some good, good people right around All right. you. All right. The good people both in Cleveland and Las Vegas. Uh, you played basketball for the Barry University Buccaneers. Uh, in your best pirate accent, please say, Arg, come visit MGM Resorts, matey. Arg. Come visit MGM Resorts in Beatty. Oh <laughs> I take on any challenge. That was this is so much better than I ever could have hoped. Oh, thank you for that. All right, we got we got to keep going. All right, hold on one second. We got only got a couple more. Uh, casinos and gambling are a big part of MGM's business. What is your favorite casino game? Oof, blackjack. Oh, okay. Do do you hit on sixteen or you stay on sixteen? Uh, I'll never let my secrets out. <laughs> Okay. All right. Last one. You and I actually have a lot in common. Okay. We're, we're both former lacrosse players. Yes. Right. We both managed the sports section for our college newspapers. Oh, yes. Uh, we both spent extended periods in Asia. Yes. We work in the same industry. Yes. So, so a quick test. What's your favorite dessert? Pound cake. Okay. First car you ever bought? Mitsubishi Mirage. What number am I thinking of? Eight. I think we might be separated at birth. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia Pope, thanks so much for spending the time today. Thank you so much. This was awesome. I really appreciate your time and love what you're doing here. Thanks for listening to this episode of the One-on-One -on -one Sports Business Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed it, we always appreciate a subscribe, share, comment, or like. And don't forget, you can always find past episodes at abcpartners.com slash podcast. This podcast is written, produced, edited, and hosted by Dave Almey. And the theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. <laughs> <laughs>